0: And welcome to Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com. He is Paul Dettino. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes. 201-939-4513 is the telephone number. You can also chime in via Twitter. Hashtag Giants Chat. As always, Big Blue Kickoff Live brought to you by Coors Light. Enter to win the ultimate VIP game day experience courtesy of Coors Light. Text VIP to 90464 for more details. And a reminder, if you subscribe to the Giants Audio Podcast, please note Big Blue Kickoff Live now has its own dedicated podcast. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or your favorite podcast platform. I don't think there's enough platforms there that I listed. Again, Big Blue Kickoff Live no longer is available in the Giants Audio Podcast. Please subscribe to the Big Blue Kickoff Live Podcast. And of course, you can still continue to watch here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app. So we're going to get into the Giants-Dolphins matchup coming your way this Sunday. Two remaining home games for the Giants, so we'll get into that, and we'll also discuss the latest team news. Let's start with the injury report, and from yesterday, the only change, Paul, is that Golden Tate was upgraded from limited to full. Mm -hmm. He's still nursing a foot injury that he suffered in the last game, so that means that Janoris Jenkins and Kevin Zeitler, again, did not practice. Red Ellison, Evan Ingram... And Daniel Jones, again, all limited. And Corey Ballantyne, once again, was a full participant in practice as he returns from concussion protocol. So, right now, Zeitler still nursing that ankle injury, also wrist wrist injury. Correct. There's two of them on there. So, Nick Gates would get the start. He would be in line, correct, to take the place of Zeitler and as far as the quarterback situation is concerned Pat Shermer said no decision is going to be made until the end of the week but I would say right now all signs Paul point to in all likelihood Eli Manning making his second consecutive start against the Dolphins
1: I would agree and the basis for that is to this point all we have seen is Daniel Jones do some throwing on the side we have not seen him take any snaps or go through any full practice reps. And in fact, you know, when you watch Daniel Jones do what he does, and I mentioned this on WFAN this morning, when you watch him on the side during the media portion of practice and he's throwing, you see him plant on his front foot and he's using an arm and he's doing really, really well, but you don't see a lot of pressure on the back ankle. And even yesterday, when Daniel Jones did some straight ahead jogging, that's not enough to put him in a regular season game. And Pat Shermer said as much yesterday when he told us that I got to be able to see him running around. Of course. I mean, let's not kid ourselves, okay? The Giants don't have a brick wall offensive line that's going to keep out a pass rush the entire game. There are going to be times where Daniel Jones, like any other quarterback in this league, is going to have to move. And if he doesn't have enough of mobility and flexibility on that ankle to either get out of the pocket or, for that matter, simply slide and escape, well then, he's in harm's way. And basically, if you just put those clues together, you could pretty much figure out that it's a long shot for him to play against the Dolphins.
0: Well, mobility is a big part of Daniel Jones' game, Paul. So to your point, if he can't run around with confidence, you're basically putting him out there and he's not fully 100%, which to me would defeat the purpose. I think, though, the positive is he has shed the walking boot, and I think he is inching closer to perhaps maybe next week we could be talking about him inching closer to, again, taking part in some team drills. But right now, it's just a matter of some individual work here and there.
1: Well, here's the thing. I'm going to compare it to horseshoes if I can. You know, you get the horseshoes close, okay, fine, that's nice. But unless you get the ringer, you don't win,
0: right? Okay. I didn't know you were going to go there with the parallels and the the, analogies. But the point is, you
1: know, being partially there doesn't mean you're good enough to play. Of course not. No.
0: And and those are the types of things that they have to look for, and they listen to the medical staff to advise them and guide them in the right direction. And, oh,
1: by the way, they don't just guide. With the Giants, the medical staff has the final word. If they don't give Daniel Jones the green... Then Pat Shermer doesn't even get to make a decision on this because the red light goes up and that's it. Daniel Jones doesn't get to play. They get, you know, and they'll make that decision on Friday, whether or not the red light goes up on Friday or whether or not they wait until what could potentially be a game time decision. But let's not kid ourselves. The medical staff makes the decision here as to whether or not he is cleared to play, and only then does Coach Shermer get. To make a decision as to whether or not he wants him to play
0: and yeah, medical staff is the one that dictates the conversation and that's how it's been for just about every single player. And I would say that's the case really across the league. I don't think the Giants are necessarily following a different script. Now, whoever the quarterback is, and right now it does appear to be Eli Manning, the task at hand is to try to snap this nine-game losing streak against a Miami Dolphins team that has just three wins on the season. And this is a Dolphins team that when you look at their roster on paper, and you know we do this every single week, and the paper test doesn't necessarily dictate how the game is going to be playing out, but this is an extremely young roster, Roster Paul. This is a roster that has been absolutely plagued by injury specifically in the secondary. Just to put things in perspective, they just put two corners who were getting a lot of snaps on IR right after their last game against the Jets and have made some transactions over the last few days to bring in guys that have barely, you know, put on the Dolphins uniform. So there's going to be a lot of movement on the back end of this defense for Miami. This week, Specifically, I think Eric Rowe, who was with Brian Flores with the Patriots, who has been playing safety for the bulk of this season after he moved from corner, I think he's going to probably go back to corner this week because they have a lot more depth to toy with at safety than they do at the cornerback situation. So, you know, that's an area that is very attractive for the Giants. But, Paul, once again, you know, to say that, well, that looks great on paper and it's going to translate, I'm not going to go that far. You know, when you look at these numbers right now from the Dolphins defense, you're talking about a defense that is 30th overall. They're giving up nearly 400 yards per game. They're 32nd. They're dead last in points per game allowed. Opponents are averaging 31 points a game against them. They are 26th against the pass, and they're tied for 30th against the run 141 yards a game they're giving up so you know we just listened to Saquon Barkley in the locker room this is an attractive matchup for him this is an attractive matchup for the quarterback this is an attractive matchup for just about everybody on the Giants offense but the Giants have yet to prove Paul that they could take advantage of a team that statistically has struggled whether it be on defense or offense so I'm reading the numbers like we do every week but to run with them and say that this is a layup game I think, would not be putting the game in proper perspective.
1: Well, Ryan Fitzpatrick has two 300-yard games in the last month. And quite frankly, I just got done talking to safety Michael Thomas, who played for a handful of years in Miami, which meant he understands the AFC East. He knows Fitzpatrick, who was with the Jets and the Bills before he got to the Dolphins after Thomas left there. But he said, oh, yeah, I've played against this guy a bunch of times. And I know, I know... He's got the arm strength, he's got the guts, and he's got the intelligence to burn you at any time. He is what you call a typical streaky quarterback. When Fitzpatrick is on, he could throw it with practically the best of them. When when he's really going. Right? But the problem with with Fitzpatrick and why he's a terrific veteran backup, to be perfectly frank with you, is that he cannot do it on a week-in and week-out basis. In fact, according to Michael, Thomas said that, I asked him, are there times where he's not just streaky game to game, but is he streaky within a game? Do you see him on for a quarter and off for a quarter? He said, oh yeah, you could see that with him too. The thing about it though is he does have the arm strength to make every throw and he has the confidence and the guts to make every throw. So even if he's going bad, that doesn't mean he's just going to wilt and collapse as some quarterbacks will do. No, he's going to keep firing away. And of course, to his detriment, if you got the ball rolling, maybe you can keep it rolling on him and just swarm him under. But to the other side of that coin, he can actually get himself out of a bad situation by continuing to throw and throw and throw until finally he starts hitting a couple of them.
0: Yeah, he's relentless. That'd be the best way to describe him. And you know, to your point of him being up and down, he's got 13 touchdowns and 12 interceptions. But as you alluded to earlier... This is the key for the Giants. Fitzpatrick is just 15 yards off being the leading rusher, Paul, for the Dolphins this season, which part of it is because they've utilized so many different running backs. Well, Walton
1: was suspended.
0: Correct. And then they traded Kenyon Drake to the Arizona Cardinals. So that doesn't tell the whole story, but Fitzpatrick did a lot of damage as a runner against the Jets last week. Over 60 yards. So you have to account for him taking off. He does not shy away from that. So this is going to be a test for how well-disciplined the Giants' front seven And he's not known for having legs. The no, point is he's got guts. Yeah, he That's does. That's the point. He has or cojones is another way to put it in terms of him not shying away okay. from taking on contact. Well, <laughs> nothing outrageous about that statement. Not at know, all. Uh, I just prefer to use guts. Okay, I, I try to expand our dialogue on this program. I don't think I went into territory that was uh, beyond the PG-13 realm of Big Blue Kickoff Live. But, yeah, I agree with you. I think he takes his fair share of chances both through the air, on the ground, and you have to account for that because more often than not, what he did against the Jets is they were facing a third down – There was nowhere to go with the ball through the air. He would run it himself, and he would keep drives alive. So, you know, that is something that this Giants defense needs to be aware of. And they have a variety of wide receivers who, you know, have flashed here or there. Devontae Parker has had some good games, and then he's had some so-so games. Alan Hearns has shown some flashes. So, you know, once again, you look at the names on paper for this Dolphins team, Paul. This is not pro bowlers. This is not all pro talent. But once again, that doesn't mean that the Giants are in any position to overlook this squad. And I do think that they have a number of young guys on defense that have shown some promise this season. And these are the types of players that are going to play as if they have nothing to lose for, because they know they're still young, they're still grown. Raekwon McMillan is one guy in particular, an inside linebacker who's been playing well as of late. Jerome Baker is another young inside linebacker who also leads the team and tackles with 95. And Christian Wilkins, who was their first round pick this year out of Clemson, you know, has also shown some flashes, some ups and downs, but, you know, they've got a big youth movement. And uh, this is a game where the Giants are back home. And this is a Dolphins team, by the way, coming back to MetLife Stadium for the second straight week. This is actually, interestingly, the Dolphins are duplicating what the Bills did, if you recall, Paul, Mm -hmm. earlier in the season, because the Bills played the Jets and the Giants in weeks one and two. Now the Dolphins are doing it at the end of the season. But the bottom line is, what does the Giants' offense do against this struggling defense? Because you go back to that Eagles game, Paul, it was a tale of two halves, but I'll take it a step further. I think, and I'm curious your perspective, I think that Darius Slayton big plays even covered up perhaps what was not a totally fluid offensive performance in the first half, I would argue, against Philadelphia on Monday night. How? Well, because I think if you look at Slayton had three catches, he had the two touchdowns and he had that, what, 40 plus yard catch. Outside of that, there wasn't a great deal of continuity on offense where they were, you know, marching down the field continuously. It was the big plays capitalizing on that, and then outside of that...
1: It was a very methodical, close-to-the-vest kind of game, and quite honestly, I thought everything was, was looking very rosy for them at 17-3 at the half. That's exactly how you want to play that game. Well, from a
0: score perspective, yes, but they well, were Well, because still...
1: the score and the flow of the game dictates how you're going to attack it. So I would totally disagree with you. I thought well, they played that first half exactly as they should have. Well, I'm not the problem is the
0: second half didn't go that well, way. Well, I'm certainly not criticizing the production. Listen, you take the big plays when you could get them, and you run into the end zone, you don't ask any questions. What I'm saying is when you compare the first half and the second half, the second half there wasn't much of any Correct. continuity on offense. Correct. I mean, they were miserable on third down. But they in the first half
1: they did everything that they wanted to do.
0: Well, but they also struggled if you look at the numbers on third down in the first half, I would argue. I, that's why I'm saying the big plays covered up some of the shortcomings that they had in other areas. But that was that's part of the point. game plan.
1: Part of the well, game, plan was was game plan was knowing that you could hit Philadelphia's secondary for big plays. So part of the game plan was they're going to count on hitting some of those, and they did. To me, I don't see a problem with the first half at all. I thought that's exactly the kind of blueprint the Giants should have been able to execute against several teams this year. I, I I didn't find anything wrong with it.
0: Well, I'm not. Once again, I'm not criticizing the strategy. All I'm saying is, I think if you take away the big plays, you'll see that outside of those big plays, it wasn't as if they were putting together 80. Yeah, 90, but that was the idea. Five-yard drives. That's all. Well, I'm saying. But, that,
1: but that was the plan. The plan
0: was. They're going to hit some big ones against the Eagles, and they well, did exactly what they wanted to do. Well, they hit the second Eli touchdown was a big play. Remember, the first one was Darius Slayton wiggling out of Ronald Darby's Against Yeah, against guys. man yeah. coverage, yeah. Yeah. which, is, which is what you,
1: know. you do. See, sometimes the offensive coordinator says, I'm going to call a play, and I'm going to have my guy one-on-one against one of their guys, and my guy's going to win. Sometimes that's the strategy. And the strategy worked perfectly because their guy won the one-on-one, and Slayton broke free for yak yardage and a touchdown. I, I, I philosophically, I couldn't be on, on a more different page than you on well, that. first but I, I, the first I, I half think you're was, misinterpreting was my terrific.
0: point. I'm I'm not questioning the philosophy of the team. All I'm saying is is that those big plays were the main. Identity of the offense, but that the was the idea of those. Well, whether, but listen, no, but when
1: that's the call, idea and they execute the game plan the way it was called, then that's good.
0: Yeah, but what I'm saying is, I don't think the play where Darius Slayden slipped out of Ronald Darby and ran all the way for a touchdown—that that was exactly how they were anticipating the play. No, to no, play out. you know, you know. How bottom we, line is no, there was no. also nobody on the back end to help out Darby. The, the way that, that play,
1: play is designed is for him to juke the defender and be able to go in untouched. Darby was close enough that he was able to get a hand on him, but Slayton broke the tackle. In a perfect world, he doesn't have to break the tackle. He jukes him and gets by without being touched. Well, the other, but thing- that's what the, thats the idea. You want that matchup with the potential of knowing that a one-on-one is going to go in the favor of your guy, and that you're going to get the big play. I don't. I don't. Hey, we should just go to the well, calls. No, but, you and I are not going to agree we're on just, this. Yeah, we're
0: just having a conversation. Why do you get so defensive in certain? Because 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 we're at a at conversation its, about at football. Its,
1: at its core, I I don't see why you can't recognize the validity in what they did. I'm I have not, no problem saying that their mis- second. I have once no problem again, you're with mis- you misinterpreting
0: my point, though. I'm the, not questioning right. the validity. Never mind. of the scheme, Paul. Okay. All I'm saying is, you take away those three plays, but
1: you can't. Because that was part of the plan,
0: is yeah. that we're going to get big plays. Okay, but then you saw what life is without those big plays in the second half, though. Right. And what was and life I've, without those and, big plays? And
1: there's no question that the second half turned into a horror show.
0: Correct, because you were absent to the big plays and you were absent to even the simple third down conversions. Okay.
1: That, I, and I don't have a problem and, with it. And
0: what I'm saying is, if you go back to the first, you're half, absolutely right. That, and that was my main point in terms of the comparison. See, I I thought that you were attacking. I, was to, I thought no, you were attacking at the first half. No, I wasn't attacking. I was outlining how the third down issues okay. were there in the first half. The big plays covered that up. That okay. was simply the point. Go right on. So we're on the same page. They were two for six for along. third down in the first half, which isn't horrific. Oh, I mean, and then they were zero for six in the second. Half. Well, and that's that's the right. problem. That's the problem. The
1: second half. The Eagles did a number of different things. Specifically, specifically, they got more pressure. They started sending more pressure after the quarterback. And and, and well, they, they had did, yeah. and they tilted the field, which was another huge thing. You know, it's one of my pet peeves. One of my real pet peeves is don't let the other team tilt the the field because if they do that on three or four consecutive possessions, it is going to turn the momentum in the game, it's going to change the philosophies of how you call plays, and ultimately, it's going to put you in the soup. And that is exactly what happened to the Giants. They allowed the Eagles on four consecutive plays, uh, four consecutive series coming out of the second half, to tilt the field. And that is what put them in the Bermuda Triangle and in the danger zone of being sunk. Well, and then you look at
0: that flea flicker play where there were opportunities down the field, and pressure is what spoiled it. Oh,
1: me. you mean the play where Eli was face-masked and then didn't call it? Well, listen, I'm, once uh, again. I'm just letting no, you
0: know. And we and we could always go back and play just the could a should a game in terms of calls, but the bottom line, there was pressure on that play, mm-hmm. and there was pressure right in the face of Eli Manning. Never stood a chance in, no. in terms of surveying the field. So no. No, pressure, lack of third-down conversions, absolutely influence the outcome of that game and that's something they're gonna have to avoid even against the Dolphins team that is struggling in that department a reminder Big Blue Kickoff Live brought to you by Coors Light enter to win the ultimate VIP game day experience courtesy of Coors Light text VIP to 90464 for more details all right let's open up the phone lines as we move along here on the latest edition of BBKL and we check in with Greg who is in Virginia he gets us going Greg welcome to Giants.com what's happening hey
2: fellas how you doing today Hello. hello Good, um hey, I actually called yesterday and I had um spoke with Ross and David and um unfortunately i was I was hung up on um I had made a point about the two thousand and eighteen draft class ultimately taking a step backwards and um I kind of dismissed my point was dismissed as um being a disgruntled fan, and then coincidentally, Jordan Renan writes an article um today detailing exactly my my points um, with data behind it. So, With all that being said, we don't need to go into detail on each player. I I think if you were to take your time and look at each player, you'd see a regression. The last time Dave Gettleman spoke to the media, when he was asked what a successful season looked like, he started it off by saying, progression of last year's rookie class. Make the guys from year one to two making a jump. So by his own definition, this is a failure of a season. When you couple the draft class, which was really what we were hanging our hats on with our faith with Dave Gettleman, because when you look at the moves he's made outside of that, they're pretty questionable. How can we allow him to make another top ten pick?
0: Well, when you evaluate the 2018 draft class, I mean, who exactly are you pointing to well, well, from a statistical well, well, he standpoint? Someone
2: is, is ranked lower than Eric Flowers at guard. He has a 46% run grade. BJ Hill Do you really want do you really want, do you really want to go there? Do you really want to go there
1: because you're going to, to, to get cut off again? All right, up, that's it. He's done. For him. He's done. He's done. He's done. He's done. He's going to start quoting statistical analytics grades, which he knows have no place here, especially not what I'm doing this show, um, you know, because ultimately the tape doesn't lie and you see what you see and believe what you see. And anybody who just puts their opinions in their stock and an analytical black and white statistical grade from some some service is an absolute, let's just say they're making a serious mistake, Okay. Those numbers are the oregano, they are not the pizza, and anybody who uses those numbers to support their argument is not going to even gain any water with me whatsoever, and they know that. So I'm sorry, sir. Um, If you can get your football knowledge up to speed, I'll be glad to have a conversation with you, but right now you're just spinning back Analytic numbers, which of course do not hold water.
0: Well, here's the bottom line: when you evaluate a draft class, first of all, you have to really see three to four years, in my opinion, before you have the true declaration of how that class. No pans question. Out. And the that, reason that being, is number one. Yeah. The, well, the reason being is that you know we've seen players fluctuate. I'm not just talking about the Giants. I'm talking about, Paul, across the league where, you know, the rookie year is really good. Then all of a sudden, you know, somewhat down second year, and then they recuperate, recover in their third year. So, you know. The sophomore jinx, is a lot of people yeah, call so, it. so so the, the point is by simply just looking at year one to year two and saying that the draft class is not salvageable and everybody has regressed, I don't think is a fair synopsis. The other thing is. B.J. Hill, for example, okay, Paul, he had five and a half sacks last season. So I think a lot of people looked at it and said, all right, well, if he got five and a half of his rookie year, then he should be able to get, you know, seven or eight this year. That that would have been a hope. Well, but here's the thing. But it it wasn't the case. No, it wasn't the case. But you and I have had these conversations. I always bring this up three of his five-and-a-half sacks came in one game, okay? So this is where numbers, I'm not saying that they're hollow, but if you're going to tell me B.J. Hill had five-and-a-half sacks in 2018, then at least tell me from a contextual standpoint that, by the way, three of them came in one game. Well, this is why anybody who just looks at
1: some black-and-white numbers and throws them out as a supporting argument, and especially as their primary supporting argument, is making a foolish mistake everything must be taken into context. So while you're making a very clear statement that stats don't nearly tell the whole story, either positively or negatively, what you have to understand is that the scope of what is being done with last year's rookie class and now this year's rookie class is all part of the the grandmaster plan of weaving in younger players who are supposed to grow together And that at some point in time when they all, you know, blossom like a caterpillar is to a butterfly, if I can go there, okay, that it's all going to come together at the appropriate time. You know, the caterpillar isn't a butterfly until it's time.
0: Yeah, and that's why I'd want to see three to four years before you know we truly say, hey, this draft class worked out. And listen, let's not be naive. Saquon Barkley's numbers are down. You don't need to be a rocket scientist to figure that out. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Does that mean Saquon regressed and there's no way for him to bounce back next season? I mean, that to me would be a ridiculous statement. Actually, coincidentally, Paul, when we were in the locker room just now with Saquon Barkley, one of the questions posed to him was about Todd Gurley. Mm-hmm. and how Todd Gurley's numbers have fluctuated during the course of his career, going back to his rookie year. And Saquon almost recited his numbers verbatim as if he's been studying up on them. And you could see that he's aware he had good year, then he had an 800-yard season, then all of a sudden he regrouped and he went back to 1,000 yards. So, you know, once again... The sample size from 18 to 19, to say that all of a sudden the draft class is terrible, I I don't think you're looking at it from a big-picture perspective. Once again, B.J. Hill's sack numbers, I don't think, tell the whole story. And here's another thing. R.J. McIntosh, Paul, he barely played last season. So what exactly are you comparing him from 2018 to 2019? I have no idea. Once again, those are the conversations that need to happen when you evaluate a draft class. Now, I didn't read the article that the caller was referencing, but once again— if you're going to give a synopsis of the draft class from 18 to 19, I want to know what is being brought up in 18 and how is that being analyzed? Because I don't think the numbers tell the true whole story of what that class did. And to show you you know, that simply the numbers are down in 19 doesn't mean that all of a sudden the jury is out and there's no way to rewrite the story. Here. And to be quite honest with
1: you, I believe, as I have said about Leonard Williams, I think that Lorenzo Carter might actually be a better 4-3 outside linebacker than a 3-4 guy. And so you could argue or certainly bring up the point that perhaps he is in the wrong scheme. And, and you know, we'll see what scheme the Giants use in 2020. Uh, but that will be his third season, which is the, quote, breakout season for those of you who know what, what the usual NFL mandate is. Your third season, you need to show that that's, that's what you're going to be or at least show significant promise in year three, For them to believe moving forward that you're going to be part of the solution.
0: Well, and you know what? I want to relate Daniel Jones in this conversation. It would be the equivalent of Paul saying that Daniel Jones is going to be troubled by turnovers his entire career by just looking at 2019.
2: And and we don't know. I I mean, I'm not saying
0: that everything's going to be 100% clean. I'm not going to go so far, but I think it's fair to say we've got to see a few more seasons to determine whether or not this is going to be the narrative. You know, that's going to weigh over his head during the course of his career. Let's head back to the phone lines. We check in with Joe in Pennsylvania. Joe, welcome to Big Blue Kickoff Live. What do you got for us?
3: Uh, hi, guys there. First, I have to say to Paul, I don't know if he's coming or going, but he looks pretty snazzy there. I like his work clothes.
1: <laughs> Thanks,
3: Joe. You know. Uh,
1: we, we had to tape uh, MSG's First and Ten, which is on MSG on Friday uh, nights. We usually tape the sit-down studio portions of the interviews on Thursday, the morning that I have to be in here with Lance to do BBKL. So this isn't like I'm dressing up for Lance or for you guys. Uh-huh. I'm dressing up for I'm MSG. i always impressed
0: from Paul dressing <laughs> up for me. I thought it. you yeah. had
3: a hot date or something, Paul. Yeah.
0: <laughs> no, but, no, no, uh, well, no, Well, listen, we keep all the I'm, skeletons in the closet on this program. You're yeah. sure <laughs> of that, okay. I'm still sick yeah. in the
3: stomach from this game there. And like, yeah. Lance, you were talking about that flea flicker I heard uh uh, Phil Sims, he, he was talking about it. He said if our tackle, there, a soldier, would have blocked for them, he could, if, uh, Eli could have punted it nine miles high. He could have caught the ball and ran backwards and did pirouettes for a touchdown. You know. Uh, yeah,
0: because the secondary bit on the flea flicker, so there clearly uh, were opportunities yeah, down right. the field. It was but a good
3: call. They were announcing it. Wow, what a silly play! But you know, it's just. It, you know what I mean? Uh, he he did have a bad game too. I mean, missing a lot of it, and their double teams on 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 their uh, uh, and their you know what I mean? Both of them, boy, they really whipped on his soldier and who I guess it was the tight end. What uh, I'm Simonson. asking too, uh, our defense there. You know what I mean? They really did. You know what I mean? The main thing they blew in that second half was them little screens. You know, I guess what basically outside ends and linebackers and quarterbacks, you know, they were terrible. And they kept running them over and over again. And what I want to get to, and besides all the other games, well, in this game, too, Ertz, their touchdown drive, he ran he ran free and caught a couple passes, and then the one in the end zone, I know what happened, missed McCunications again, you know, the overtime win there. I'd like to go back. I guess it's too hard. Did they have this many blown assignments when he was coaching with Arizona? Or is it just our young guys? I mean, it's it's crazy.
1: I will say this. Um, Betcher's three years as the D.C. in Arizona, they finished in the top ten defensively in each of those three seasons and when he was coming here the the rave reviews that not only did i hear but i saw with my own eyes cuz you remember the giants played out there yeah against pitchers D- and they, they, by the they way they shut out the giants yeah it was a
0: 23 nothing i think and, yeah, late in the and season and and
1: his defense was just super spectacular and and what the word was and you could see it on tape is that he had a very aggressive complex defense which did all kinds of things to confuse the offense and uh, unfortunately, and and you know, this was expressed to me at one point by by one of the people. Um, you know, when he first got here to the Giants, one of the players said to me, "You know, I understand all the things that you like about it, but also remember this: because it is such a complex defensive scheme, and it is meant to confuse the offense. There's also the possibility where it could confuse his own defense. Now, I don't know if that means that." It's just too much, and he's been unable to communicate it correctly to his players. I don't know if he was unable to teach it to his players. I don't know if he was able to make adjustments to make it palatable for his players here with the Giants. I don't know the answers to any of those things because that's just so internal behind the brick wall that we're never going to be able to know. But, But there's also the possibility... I I don't think it's true, but there's also the possibility that this group of players didn't understand the defense as well as those Cardinals players did. That's possible as well. I don't know that's the case. I probably would say it's not because this seems like a really good group. seems like a bunch of guys who love football, who have a great attitude, who want to learn. So I'm inclined not to think that. Part of it is certainly their inexperience.
0: Oh, I, that's what I was going to bring right? up. I, I think that's a huge. It's got to be part Paul. of I, it. I don't mean to cut you off, but you know, you look at the personnel he was working with in Arizona. He had a veteran secondary, for example. He was not working with guys that were just drafted. Well, and he also so, had an
1: alpha male pass rusher in well, Chandler, Chandler Jones. Jones. Of
0: course, and he had Tyron Matthew. and He had Patrick Peterson in the secondary. I mean, you know, you know we're really talking about apples and oranges in terms of personnel. I mean, we tried
1: so, to talk about when he got here some of the Giants' pieces that would fit within that puzzle we tried to say that Vernon could be Chandler Jones we tried to say that uh, uh, Buchanan was going to wind up converting into uh, Landon Collins we tried to say Jackrabbit would convert into Patrick Peterson we tried to fit those guys into those spots and say well boy his scheme his system we're just going to plop it down and the Giants have the pieces to fit and make it work clearly that didn't happen so now you have to say all right what what did not happen that could have fixed that and made it work? Because clearly it
0: didn't work.
3: I, I just said them screen passes, oh, did they look silly,
0: you know? Well, uh, Joe, the other thing is there were a lot of missed tackles too. Yeah, you know, I don't no, even think I, it's necessarily missed the assignments uh, and confusion. It, it's guys sometimes being in a position to bring a guy down and either being juked which is just a one-on-one good move on the part of the offensive player or, you know, the defensive player just not wrapping his hands around and bringing the guy down. Because that's yeah, what, yeah, I they, saw a lot they, of that in the whoever, second half.
3: Whoever, whoever that guy, Lance, the, that running back, the Eagles, put in there, he was about your size. And he, so all he did was catch little jokes. Correct, and yeah, that's make, what he did.
0: Yeah, but, but know, Joe, he was making guys miss, though. That's my point. Yeah, Joe, right, I, I think I guess, he was a little taller than Lance, actually. He may have. Most people are. <laughs> so I, I'm not taking measurements.
4: but yeah.
1: Uh,
3: one yeah. other thing I just want to say, I did watch uh, the uh, Miami beat in, I was switch. I had them both games on when I was watching the Giants that game, Miami beating in uh, the Eagles there, and Fitzpatrick, a lot of times they had they have tall receivers and a tight end, and he threw that ball up and they made some plays, and that's really what beat the Eagles there, yeah. so uh, thanks for getting my call. You got and, it, uh, Joe. Bye-bye.
0: Appreciate the full right, call. Joe. Thanks for weighing in. Let's uh, head back to the lines. Mike is in Suffolk County. Mike, welcome to Big Blue Kickoff Live. What do you got for us?
4: Hi, guys. Uh, just Hello. I just want to ask you uh, a couple of things. Uh, well, one is a statement in, in uh, regard to Sh- uh, Mr. Schumer. Uh, or Schumer. Uh, uh, yeah, thank you. Um, <laughs> you know what? I really think he's a really, really nice guy. You could see he's a good guy. He's more of a college coach to me, you know, to develop men. He, he, he is not – I don't see him as a professional coach. Uh, the guys haven't gotten better this year. Um, you know, they haven't, haven't progressed. And it's not just him. It's, you know, his coaches as well. Now, that leads me to this question. Would you give up a first-round pick if you could get Belichick to come with the Giants – and have him stay for a minimum, you know, maximum of 10 years. Okay. Would you give up this first-round pick for that?
1: I'm going to make this very easy for you. I would suspect, and I'm not going to be accused of tampering here, okay? (laughs) I'm just going to say this in a very, very, very generic sense. I can't think of a team in the NFL that would not want the quality of the caliber of a Bill Belichick, the greatest head coach that the NFL and professional sports may have ever seen for a number 1 draft pick. I I don't I don't think there's any team that would turn that down. Honestly. And I'm not I'm not specifically talking about this situation. I'm talking about any situation. Why would any NFL team turn down the opportunity to have the greatest coach ever? for one number one draft pick.
0: I also think it's a pipe dream, Mike. Well, of course and it is. It's at ridiculous. At the end of the day, I mean, we're really talking about fairy tales here. It, 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 so, you know. you know, there's not much substance in this conversation. But I mean, who who wouldn't want the greatest head coach ever for of just course. the number one pick? Well, just like if you could get the greatest player ever, I think you'd right. give up a first round pick right. too. I mean... Yeah.
4: Uh, well, well, you know something? You know, when I look at players, and me and my brother-in-law talk about football all the time, you know what? There's not that much different difference in all of these players, I believe that coaching is what makes them win, okay? You know, you look at the New England, right? You know, they don't have a first-round pick every, you know, their first-round pick is number 32, okay? The coaching is everything. And I think given that kind of coach with the Giants, yeah, we wouldn't be 2-10 and ten or whatever the hell we are. We would be 9-7, 10-6, okay with a guy well, like belichick with the same players
1: well it's it's hard to argue based on belichick's record of what 16 years in a row of double-digit victories it's hard to argue that that he could make any team a winner okay but but that's not that's not the question here the question is uh how much talent is on a team and how much does that talent weigh into the final record compared to to the coach who was on the sidelines. Belichick is a very unique situation. It's like asking me, would I want Vince Lombardi for a number one pick? Would I want Belichick for a number one pick? We're talking about the same category of guy. And that's kind of a, a an out-of-the-bounds out of way because there are a lot of coaches from the 1980s, the golden era of the NFL, who you would love to have and say they would coach the pants off almost any coach in this league today. Honestly, think about it. Gibbs, Walsh, Parcells, really, Vermeule,
4: Ditka. Seriously, think about it. Yep, yep, and I I agree with you. Now, just one other thing. In reference to Mr. Gettleman, I really think he's doing a good job. Uh, I don't like, so to speak, his uh, free agent signings and whatnot, but I think from a draft standpoint, I think he's doing a hell of a job. I think he's picked the right players. Uh, I think he picked the quarterback when nobody wanted him. I thought he was the right quarterback. Not, you know, I'm just saying I'm patting my own back on that one. But uh, I think he's doing a good job, and I don't think they should fire him. Okay, so uh, that's my two cents for, All right, Mike. for for whatever it's worth.
0: You got it. appreciate the phone call. Thanks so Thank much. Thank you. You got it. Let's uh, move along here on the phone lines. Marcus is in Philadelphia. Marcus, welcome to Big Blue Kickoff Live. What do you got for us?
5: Good afternoon, gentlemen. I haven't called in quite some time, so I just want to first and foremost thank you guys for everything that you do with giving us, the fans, all the interviews and all the latest information about the Giants. So thank you very much. You're for very chatting. kind, well, and attention. we're very
1: glad to have your attention. Thank you.
5: All right. Uh, I'm calling because um, I, I pretty much have a question about the line and the offensive line coaching. My question is, over the last couple of years, um, we haven't been able to run a lot of screen plays uh, effectively, stretches, sweeps, tosses. Um, we haven't been able to put a hat on a hat and move the line of scrimmage. And I understand when it comes to running to the outside, a lot of that has, it has to do with the tight end and the wide receiver. So my question sure. is, Oh, uh, what is there something that we could possibly do with, as far as coaching um in the next couple of years that can maybe change these things, is the, the scheme. Um, because I know back when, you know, I unfortunately I, I didn't get a chance to call in yesterday. I knew Mr. Dune was on the on, on the show yesterday. But those guys, none of those guys were high draft picks except for Mr. Snee. Uh, most of those guys like Sean O'Hara and and, 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 and you know and Kareem McKenzie those guys were later picks, but they were road graders. They moved a lot of scrimmage and they were just tough guys they brought their lunch pills to work every day. Is that something that we could possibly get back to, or is there some coaching that we could possibly do to help with this offensive
1: line? Well, let me just quote you something, and again, there are some stats that are actually relevant as opposed to uh, some that are very much lightweight. This is a fact. When the Giants run behind left tackle this year, they average 4.3 yards per carry. When they run behind right tackle this year, they're averaging 4.39 yards per carry. So the truth of the matter is, they have actually effectively run the ball behind each of the tackles when they've done it. They just haven't done it so much. Instead, they've run up the middle where they're averaging 3.5 yards per carry. And, And to give you further evidence of that, it's been, let's see here, what is the number? 92 rushes up the middle, 26 runs behind left tackle, and 33 runs behind right tackle. So, the place where they have been the least successful in running the ball is the place that they seem to have an affection for running. The interior. And, yeah. and quite frankly, that's puzzling, I think, at the very least, uh, when you look at it. So, I understand your disappointment in the run game, but I, I, I'm one who thinks actually they can run the ball a bit more effectively outside if they were to give it more of a chance.
5: Uh, it, it actually makes a lot of sense. I guess if you don't do it, then you don't know if you can do it or not. So that pretty much makes a lot of sense. Um, I, I just actually have one more question. And I'll take your answers off the air. Um, and it's about the offense. Um, now, I look at a lot of them here in Philadelphia. So, I, you know, I see the Eagles every week. And I see a lot of, you know, Kansas City and the different teams. And the offenses seem a little bit more, there's a lot of more motion and, you know, the, you know, jet sweeps and, you know, a lot of you know fake hair and screen over there. Just a whole lot of different play calling, and you know Pat Shermer. Sh- Shermer you know I, he's a good offensive coordinator, but is there something lacking? And I know a lot of it has new talent, and I'm, I totally understand that. But when it comes to the play calling, it's kind of vanilla. Um, I know the, the schemes with, with the routes are complex. I understand that, but. It seems to we're just not we don't have what those other teams have when it comes to the play calling, the the, the 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 movement, the misdirection, and things of that nature. So, in your opinion, is there something that we could possibly add outside of time to the to the offense that could maybe give it a little bit more burst? And I'll thank you guys for taking my call, and I'll take your answers off the air. All right, Marcus,
0: appreciate the phone call. Well, earlier, you know, Paul and I were dissecting that flea flicker play. You know, and my argument is, Paul, they've tried to dig into their bag of tricks. The problem is the execution hasn't been there. So I completely understand where the last caller is coming from. And, you know, you watch the Niners-Saints game this past weekend. For those of you who may have had an opportunity and you see a lot of creativity from both teams, movement. I'm seeing exactly what you're seeing. But, you know, when the Giants have called for plays... You've had protection issues, so therefore the flea flicker doesn't work. They've run some end-arounds with Sterling Shepard, Paul, and you know sometimes it's actually led to some positive yards. There was the play also, remember, with Damari Scott, and then they mishandled the snap, right? So what I'm seeing is I'm seeing some of that creativity, Paul. I'm just not seeing the execution. Match the creativity, and that's why I think the reaction from the last caller is what we're hearing from on a weekly basis. It's not as if they're unwilling to do it. It's just if you're not executing it, yeah, of course it's not going to look like Drew Brees and Sean Payton or Kyle Shanahan and Jimmy Garoppolo.
1: Well, I think part of it is is definitely the execution. I think the other part of it too, and sometimes you know, it's hard to understand this, but I know you will you will definitely get it, Lance, and I think the, the folks get it too. Depending upon the situation you're in in the game and also where you are on the field and the way the momentum is going, it does alter the chapters of the playbook that you're willing to go to. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And unfortunately, and this is what I talked about a little while ago with you on the program, when I said to you, you could see how the tide was turning in the Eagles' favor the other night, all right? Let me go back just one quick second, and I promise you I'm not going to hold you up long because I know we want to get to some more calls. But the Giants' drives, okay, the Giants' drives to start the second half. They started on their 25, their 13, their 11, and their 25 on their first four possessions of the second half, okay? During that time, the four possession exchanges for the Eagles – The Eagles started on their 47, on their 29, on their 42, and on their 13.
0: Well, that's what happens when you go three and out. You don't help your punter either because you're barely getting into midfield territory. And also what happens when you can't have somebody step up and make a
1: play on third down to get your defense off the field. Yeah. Okay. So now the field starts to tilt and the momentum is growing on the other side. And as that's happening all of a sudden, guess what? The chapters in your playbook start to shrink.
0: Yeah, you can't get to those options.
1: And now, yeah. yeah. And and Coach Shermer is right when he does say, yeah, and, he and he's say telling that. you the truth. Yeah. We had fewer snaps in the second half, so we had less of an opportunity to even try something else. But I'm also going to go further and say that the way the game was going, momentum-wise and field position-wise, that also impacted his creativity.
0: Yeah. No, I, I agree with everything that you just said. Listen, I have more of the numbers in front of me. Six possessions in the second half, Paul. They ran 20 plays. Do the math. It's not good. Now, now. That's not even four plays per possession. If you want to be fair about it
1: and, and you want to say, well, what's the other side of the coin? The other side of the coin says because they did program and hit some big plays in the first half, whether they were one-on-one yak plays or whether it was Slayton getting behind somebody, what you could say, if you want to, say, okay, I know the momentum was going the other way. I know you were backed up deep and the field was tilted, but maybe could you have just tried to take a shot on a 40-yarder downfield or a 50-yarder downfield and said, you know what, it's worth the shot. Loosen up that defense. We think we can beat them. You could argue that, and worst-case scenario is maybe it just turns into an early punt if it gets picked
0: off. Well, you could argue that. I mean, I remember there was one possession where the Giants ran Saquon Barkley on consecutive plays and they actually had manageable third downs. See, that's the other crazy part, Paul, about the second half. If you look at some of the third downs, they were facing third and threes and third and fours and third and fives. So, you know, you can argue, why would you take a home run under those circumstances? If anything, all you're asking for is to pick up between three and five yards, move the chains, and they couldn't even do that. Remember, the play before the Eagles took over and they ultimately, you know, were able to continue to gain momentum. The Giants had a third and three. They threw to Darius Slayton, if memory serves me correctly, right over the middle, and the pass was broken up. Paul, that's a third and three. You're going to tell me that they should be throwing 50 yards down the field? I'm not criticizing you. No,
1: and that spout with 90 seconds to go, quite honestly, Slayton himself admitted to me on the MSG postgame show, he's got to catch that ball.
0: So, you know, once again, we sit here and, and people put it under the microscope and say, well, it's all the play calling. Well, how about the execution or or players just not making the necessary plays? Just like, you know, they were expecting to throw down the field on the flea flicker, Paul. I'm sure they didn't put that play in and say, oh, we're going to throw it two yards down the field. Sure. But then all of a sudden, the pass protection breaks down and forget the plans to throw down the field. So this is how the dynamics of a game completely change what you tap into, which is your main point, Paul. From a play calling perspective. Absolutely. I think that point is well taken, but you know, good luck trying to understand that immediately after the game because of the tail of two has remember
1: everything in the NFL is a spider web or a table full of dominoes, if you prefer. It's all attached. It all impacts Interwoven. Inter in yes, it all impacts different things in other ways. It is all interwoven. I don't care what analogy you want to use, nothing in the NFL occurs in a bubble. It just doesn't.
0: Just like the quarterback doesn't operate on an island, it's just like the facets of football. It's the same way. Let's head back to the phone lines. Lance Meadow, Paul Dettino with you here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. A reminder that Big Blue Kickoff Live is brought to you by Coors Light. Enter to win the ultimate VIP game day experience. Courtesy of Coors Light, text VIP to 90464 for more details. Scott is in New Mexico. Scott, welcome aboard. What do you got for us?
6: Hi, guys. How are you doing today? Good, Scott. Uh, First of all, one of my first jobs in New York uh, was I worked for a custom shirt manufacturer. So I'll have to tell you, Paul, you do dress very well.
1: (laughs) You're kind. Thank
6: you. Uh, as far as who's the greatest coach, um, no one's going to convince me that Vince Lombardi wasn't the greatest coach I've ever seen. So, as much as Bill Belichick <laughs> has accomplished, uh, Vince Lombardi is my guy. Scott,
1: Scott Lombardi's my guy. I'm a Pizon, and I'm a Fordham grad, so you know how yeah, it pains okay. me. It pains uh, me to say that Belichick passed him, but because of the climate and the way the NFL is structured today, I got to give Belichick the nod. But okay. I, 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 I appreciate your sentiments because I'm I love Lombardi. Okay.
6: Um, I think all the comments that I've been listening to the whole broadcast go back to the thing that I really wanted to bring up. I think the point you made, Lance, about continuity, which is what I think the point you were trying to make in regards to the two halves, was the, um, the central point. And I'm going to make it akin... Uh, we've had a number of discussions that the Giants, uh, for a play here or there, would have been in the game, and I'm taking the opposite view because I think, in order to win a football game, and it's very hard to win one football game, let alone um, a bunch of them. But in order to win any football game, you have to have that mental discipline for 60 minutes, or in last week, a little over 60 minutes. What I mean by that is, I think I mentioned on a broadcast earlier that I was a competitive shooter. In fact, I'm going shooting right after this broadcast. Be careful! (laughs) uh, Well, I was actually going to bring this point up, because it's relevant to the Giants. Uh, When I learned how to shoot, and I'm handling firearms, there's a certain protocol you have to go through. Yeah and you can't deviate from that protocol because two scenarios can present themselves you'll either shoot yourself or you'll shoot somebody else and either scenario is a good one so you have to be taught that and once you're taught that you have to maintain that mental discipline throughout shooting a hundred percent of the time you can't take off even five percent otherwise it could be catastrophic and i make it akin to the giants watching them the whole year uh, even though everyone, and I, I, I'm going to pose something to you. Uh, can something be factual but, not, but inaccurate? And the reason I'm saying that is the Giants for a play here or there could have been in a lot of games. But because they don't maintain that discipline that I'm talking about 100% of the time for every play, uh, we can see what kind of season we've had. As you go into the next year, that's the one thing I think that has to be corrected. And I don't see it with the current coaching staff because of the repetition of mistakes. Now, I'm not lambasting either Shermer or Betcher. I think they're both good coaches. Coaches, but are they the right coaches for a young team that hasn't learned how to win? And I think, quoting Vince Lombardi, if winning wasn't important, why do we keep score? Right. And, yep. and the real key is you have to win your football games. So all the rest is minutiae as far as I'm concerned. It's sort of like we're treating the uh, uh, symptoms, but we're not looking at the disease. And the disease is you don't maintain your, your, your basic premises uh that you were taught in football for a hundred percent of the game and that's why when you play a team like miami even though lance you describe them as having uh you know uh Pretty much an inadequate season as well. They don't. The chances of the Giants winning that game are fifty-fifty, yeah. because again, you don't maintain your discipline. So going into the next season, it's the basic question I have: What can the Giants do to change the, uh, to turn that around, if that can be turned around? Because I don't want to see another season like this. Uh, it, it's it's personally abhorrent to me, being a Giant fan for as long as I have, not seen really true uh, championship teams. Uh, to watch what's going on in the field each week. I've made this statement numerous times, but what, what can they do, if anything, to change the mental discipline, which is, I think, the point, Lance. And, Paul, you were making an earlier broadcast as well. And I'll be glad to take your answers off the air. Guys. All right,
1: Scott, thanks. thanks for the phone call. I'll give him an answer, but I also want to give him a fact. And this is interesting because if you buy into his overall theory, it, it does lose some bite when you realize the Giants have only had 78 penalties marked off against yeah, them the, this the year, fused. which is in the lead. Yeah. And a team that doesn't maintain discipline usually draws a lot more penalty flags.
0: Well, that's why I didn't mean to cut you off. I'd substitute execution, the lack thereof, for the term discipline. I don't think yeah. this is an undisciplined team. I think it's a team that doesn't execute consistently. Yeah, I think that's you're how right. I, I think
1: semantics it. may be a little bit off here because. Yeah the the number of penalties they are one of the fewest dis, uh, fewest penalized teams in the league so let's get that out of the way first my answer is twofold number one the overall maturity and growth of this team we we still see as the Giants march these guys out there remember they've had ten different rookies start a game for them this year on either offense or defense so there needs to be growth there needs to be maturity there needs to be more continuity and confidence in not only themselves but their teammates and also their confidence and understanding exactly what is being called on each play i think that's probably the crux of what he's talking about and if those things are to happen and they have to they have to develop naturally as well as the coaching element That's what's going to really turn this thing around for this team.
0: Yeah, I think experience is a big thing. I know a lot of people don't like to point to youth, and I'm not using that as a reason solely as to why the Giants only. It's have a two component, wins. but yes, it's a major factor because you know you're throwing a lot of young guys, and they're seeing things for the first time on the NFL level that let's face it, they have not been exposed to on the collegiate level or perhaps in any facet of football. So you know that's a learning curve right there, just like what the quarterback is going through in Daniel Jones. So you know the maturity, the growth. Of the young guys and the more experience they get under the belt, then when they see it again later on in their careers, it's not all of a sudden deer in headlight type of viewpoint. I also think, you know, what you pointed out, Paul, about the trust across the board. You know, I, I don't know if you saw the piece on uh, HBO this week. Uh, they did a documentary on Nick Saban and Bill Belichick. It's uh, the art I, of coaching. It's I've a fantastic been watch. Looking forward. Well, I to think somebody it. like you would really enjoy it. Oh, there's no it question. Goes into strategy. It is on demand. I hope. I believe so. I yeah. gotta get to it. I so missed it when it you came. You should on. definitely watch it. I, I suggest anybody who's a fan of football. It doesn't matter who you root for. And you know what the two of them go into is is somewhat of what Scott was pointing to our last caller. The mental side, how to motivate players, the fundamentals that those two guys focus on in practice, oh. and even never I
1: was around Belichick and Parcells every day for a lot of years. Well, of so, course. I, so you, I appreciate this. Yeah,
0: but but here was probably one of my biggest takeaways was there was a Coughlin too, a I scene. should say. Yeah, well, Coughlin's from that school of thought, so no, no question, it's not a surprise. There was a, a scene in the documentary where they show Belichick having his entire team huddled around him, Paul. And he's testing them. He's testing them on, he gives them different scenarios. And he goes, there's two minutes left in the game. We're up by 17 points. The opposition has three timeouts. What type of kick? do you expect from the special teams unit? Meaning, should you anticipate an onside kick? Should we have our, you know, hands team in? He was going through all these things. It was a mental test, Paul. It had nothing to do with pads. The guys were just huddled around him. You know, those types of things that Belichick puts his team through and Nick Saban puts his team through, you know, don't tell me that that doesn't have some type of an effect on the growth and the maturity of his players. Forget what they're anticipating on Sundays. Just for them to mentally... Test themselves and understand different scenarios. You know that I found fascinated and fascinating, and I did not bring that up to get off topic. It just to me related to what we're dissecting here. I, I think the maturity and the mental testing of your players is a big part of them going out, anticipating what they see on Sundays, and then executing on that level. So you know that growth has to be continued to develop over the course of time. Let's head back to the phone lines. Charlie is in Portland, Maine. Charlie, what's happening?
7: Hey guys. Hey, just uh, to follow up on what you guys just said about what Belichick said. Would have been a good idea if somebody on that team, you know, uh, went to the players or, or Ogletree and all these guys talk and say, you know, uh, Ertz is the guy they're going to throw the ball to. He's the only one that, uh, is, is left that can catch. So, uh, Who's got him? Who's covering him? Who's on him? Or or Betcher should have had them saying, look, we got to go after this guy. Charlie, Double hold P- on.
1: Him. Hold on, Charlie. Look, I, I, I don't disagree in that somebody had to account for him. But here's the thing. I'm not going to point a finger and say that the direction wasn't given when I was not in the huddle. I was not in the players' headsets. I was not in the coaches' headsets. I don't know where it broke down. I said this on Tuesday. I told you there are five different layers, at least, on that play. Any one of them could have broken down and wound up resulting in the busted coverage. So for, for me to let you sit here and automatically say it's because nobody told them to account for the player, I can't let you do that because you don't know that and I don't know that. Maybe well, the direct, Maybe, the direction, maybe yeah. the direction was given. Maybe the direction was given. Come on, Charlie. You it no, you weren't so in the headset. Times, but you weren't in the headset. You don't know. You weren't in the headset. I wasn't either. The here's the here's, here's what we can agree on. It was a so terrible play. It was a right, bad was. play, a terrible play. It should never have happened, and it's up to them internally to get to the root of it and 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 you're right. Not only it's should it too never late have to get happened.
7: Get to the root of it, Paul. The season's over. Oh, no. <laughs>
1: okay, okay but but here's the thing. Some of these players, some of these coaches and some of these players, we don't know the answer to this, are going to be back next year. And what they need to know moving forward is whoever is coming back needs to know what area of that that situation was broken so that it doesn't happen next season. Right.
7: Yeah, I, I agree. I agree, and, and part of that is who's going to be back for coaches. But the other thing I wanted to say was, you know, you guys were also talking about that play when uh, Slayton dropped that third two pass, and it was ninety seconds left. To me, how many times did Philadelphia go on fourth down? They must have went three or four times. You know, why didn't we at that point? It does. We're two and ten. Why not at that point? I know we were in our territory. So what? We only had two yards to get. They were we one for, two on, yeah, were one down, for two on fourth
1: down, Charlie. They were one for two just to confirm. Huh? They, they were, were one, one for two. two on Philly was down. one for two on fourth down, just to confirm.
7: All right. That's all right. But why at that point, why didn't why didn't Schirmer just go, Let's go for it? You know, let's just go for it. We're two and ten. Well it's a we forty fourth... seconds left. Let's win this game.
0: It would have been you're a at, fourth and three you, at the Giants' thirty-two. That's the play you're yeah. talking about because Slade yeah, in it was exactly. an incomplete pass. Yeah. So if you don't get that, you're basically handing the Eagles the victory. So essentially, what?
7: they got it anyway. You knew you were at their stadium. Well, but at least you made you made them earn it though. Win the game. Is the point? I mean, it was so obvious. Go for it. You got nothing to lose. Charlie, you gotta-
1: Charlie, I don't have a problem with your statement. I don't know that I would have gone for it, but I understand your frustration. In hindsight, your statement makes a little more sense. But at the time, I think you'll get half the people who say you need to punt it there, and half the people who say to go for it. I don't know that there's really a right or a wrong answer. So I'm not going to criticize you for feeling that way because the season is as bad as it is, and you figure, okay, whatever, you might as well go for it because if you lose and they kick the field goal, what's the difference? I, I get it. I get that thought. I'm not, I'm not going to agree with it. I, I would have punted the ball right, as well, yeah. but I don't I don't berate you for having that feeling.
7: Yeah, I mean, if we were in giant in met life, I would have said punt. But being in Philadelphia, you know, it's just like, what's the point? Just go for it, try it. You got Eli as your as your as your quarterback. He can see what's going on. He can change the play if the play isn't right. I mean, you might as well just go for it. And we didn't go on fourth down once in that game.
1: Well, the, and, sh- the you know. shame of it is that Jones got his fingernail in there, and I'm 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 kind of half kidding when I say it because the right. pass to Slayton was good enough for a first down. Again, I talked to Slayton after the game. He knows he should have caught it. He expressed remorse for it. It's like he catches two long touchdown passes, and he has a terrific first half, and then the play they need with 90 seconds to go, he did not make the play. He allowed the Eagles defensive back to get his fingernail in there and knock it away. And and ultimately, Charlie, when you get down to it, as he said before, and I love when you know Lance's favorite word is execution, and I don't blame you for that because if you execute that play, then this entire issue that you're bringing up is non-existent.
0: Yeah, it changes the conversation.
7: I I, the thing is, I would have gone right back to him, and said, "Hey, you should have got that, and we're going to do that same play this time, catch it."
1: And that's fa- and that's a that's a fair opinion to have, Charlie. I'm not actually I'm I'm not going to get on you. It's a fair opinion to have. All right, guys, take care. All right, Charlie. Thank you. Yeah,
0: and listen, the argument to say, well. You lose the game. It's not as if all of a sudden you let your playoff hopes slip away, which is where he's coming from, and I get it. There's some water but, in that glass. Yeah, but I think also if you look at it through Pat Shermer's lens, I think also his lens is it's a 17-17 game. Listen, even at that point, even though the Eagles had scored a touchdown on their previous drive, Paul, you're still at least fine with how your defense is played. It's not as if your defense gave up an enormous amount to big plays. The Eagles had to go 14 plays, 85 yards in 6-17 to tie the game. So I'm sure his mindset Is all right, if we punt here, you know, hopefully we hold the Eagles to a field goal or we force them to punt again. You know, it wasn't as if the Eagles were lighting up the scoreboard, in all fairness. So I, you know, those things are sure going through his mind, Paul, when he's saying to send out his punt team there.
1: This also goes back to what I told you earlier about the environment. And clearly at that moment in time, field is still tilted. The momentum and the emotion of the building is all Eagles at that point oh, absolutely. so so he's probably thinking to himself going for fourth down here is is just an uphill battle the the better call is to punt yeah. and again and I they don't, actually
0: forced the Eagles to punt by the way they did, the they did stop them they, they did yeah, stop they them, them and
1: force the overtime yeah. So, so in retrospect what you could say is that his decision to punt was effective
0: no argument there yeah it was just unfortunately the execution was nowhere to be found in overtime and also you had you know some costly penalties too that popped up see the one thing i will say before we wrap up the 78 penalties which is fifth fewest in the nfl Completely accurate. The one thing, though, that I think is important to know, Paul, and I've brought this up on every single postgame this season, despite the volume of penalties not being terrible, the timing timing has been the Achilles heel of this team. They always get the penalty at the worst possible time. And if you go back and you look at Sam Beal extending the drive for the Eagles, Paul, on that third down... That I would argue, very was a painful. killer. Right? Well,
1: that was that was on the tying touchdown, the tying drive. tying touchdown drive, correct? Third and t- and, that, and the illegal contact. Now there's a chance for the Giants' defense to tilt the field in the other direction. Yep, and it's, instead they get called for that penalty.
0: It's third and ten from the Philly 15. Right, and, and you know the Giants. Called Giants are getting content. the ball right up midfield. Yeah, right. They're getting the ball in midfield because there's 6:43 to go at that point in the fourth, and you figure. With the way that the Giants offense has been performing, you're Doug Peterson. You're not going for it on fourth and ten. No. I find it very hard so, to believe that he would be that ultra aggressive. So you get he the ball punts.
1: midfield, you go fifteen, twenty yards, Maybe. you kick a field goal, yeah. now you're up by two scores. Game's probably over. Who knows? And I once know, again, I th-
0: know. There's nothing factually to support that because that's still a hypothetical, it's but all, yes. the timing of the penalties has been brutal. Deadly for the Giants this season. All right. All right, that is going to wrap things up. A reminder, Big Blue Kickoff Live brought to you by Coors Light. Enter to win the ultimate VIP game day experience, courtesy of Coors Light. Text VIP to 90464 for more details. And a reminder... If you subscribe to the Giants Audio Podcast, please note Big Blue Kickoff Live now has its own dedicated podcast. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or your favorite podcast platform. Again, Big Blue Kickoff Live no longer is available in the Giants Audio Podcast. Please subscribe to the separate Big Blue Kickoff Live Podcast. You can still watch or listen to the show, of course, here on Giants.com and the Giants mobile app. Appreciate everybody for tuning in. Big Blue Kickoff Live up and running again tomorrow at 1.30 p.m. Eastern. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your day and always stay locked to Giants.com. Have a good one.